0: Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie.
1: Today's conversation is with Murray Morgan, the Managing Director as well as Head of Consulting at Clark Morgan Limited, an award-winning corporate training firm that develops teams and individuals of multinational companies across the Asia-Pacific region in particularly China, Singapore and Australia. His team works with HR directors, managing directors and APAC business leaders post-merger, or when high-performance team development is necessary. Morrie discusses the details of how he uses LinkedIn as a sales and marketing platform for Clark Morgan and gives his own personal examples. He describes himself as a mismatcher that is not afraid to give his opinion the road he has taken from australia to the founding of his company in china and its expansion across the apac region the personal failures and disasters that he has encountered along the way his passion for marketing sales and technology morrie also provides knowledge and advice that can help entrepreneurs at present or thinking of doing business in china and the apac region so now without further delay let's begin hi i'm with morrie morgan so Maury,
2: can you introduce yourself? Yes, so today I presented on LinkedIn. Uh, I've been a LinkedIn member since 2009. Uh, I wrote a book on selling in China, and on page 87, I talk about how to use LinkedIn to access people. Um, <clears throat> the book was published in 2010, so it's you know it's, it, it was, I've been using LinkedIn for quite some time. Um, and I have a company that trains uh, soft skills across China. We have 25 staff. I particularly focus on sales in China to training the Chinese. And LinkedIn is now becoming more, more relevant to a Chinese user because more Chinese people, more relevant to a Chinese salesperson because more Chinese people are using it. Um, I'm hoping to see less WeChat uh, as the only choice of communication with, with a cold client or warm client. And, and hopefully LinkedIn
1: does that just that. So you mentioned that you have a company. So what's the name of the company?
2: Yeah, the company is called Clark Morgan, um, Clark Morgan Limited. You have an office in Shanghai, Beijing in Australia, Melbourne. Um, the original company was called Shanghai Daohangzhu, which is Chinese, uh, obviously. And because when we registered the company, it was a Chinese company only. English name was irrelevant, uh, so we had to we um, we bought the trademark so we could protect the English name even though it wasn't recorded officially. And then, about two thousand and seven, we created a Woofy, a wholly foreign-owned enterprise out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the parent company, the mother, and the Shanghai, Beijing offices are the uh, are the sibling, the, 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 the child, <laughs> essentially. Of, of that company. So today, yeah, we have two separate, we have three separate entities. We have an Australian company, we have a Wolfie, uh, which is a wholly foreign owned enterprise. And then we have the, the offices in Shanghai, Beijing of that Wolfie.
1: So you recently won an award.
2: What was it and what was it for? We all Google ourselves, right? And um, so I, I discovered it purely by accident. Um, I was given the title of number 29th sales guru on the guru page, globalgurus.com, and they do they look at different uh, experts in different fields, negotiations, leadership, one of them is sales, and I came in at number 29, and it's out of 30, so I just made the cut, very basic uh, requirement, you have to be alive and have written a book on sales in, in my category. Um, so I am alive and I did write a book, and then of course there's uh, they do some qualification um I made it so'm um, hoping 2016 I stay in and maybe even drop down somewhat. So you say you googled yourself they didn't notify you that you got the award. I didn't I guess I'm at twenty nine you don't you don't get the fanfare maybe number one and two do but uh, yeah, who knows I'll let you know if uh, if I move down if I move up the rankings down the numbers then uh, who knows. So you founded
1: your company, Clark Morgan. Yes. Um, in, when was it? 2001. 2001. Shanghai. Um, w- what was it like building a business across Asia-Pacific region?
2: Up until 2012, we were only in China. In 2012, I moved back to Melbourne and opened the office in Melbourne. So technically in 2012, we were suddenly a multinational company and we were an APAC company, Asia-Pacific uh, company. Um, so your question is, what was it like building an, a- an APAC company? Oh, very difficult because everything you learn and do in China is irrelevant in the Australian market. And I do a lot of work in Malaysia and Singapore. I found my Mandarin to be quite useful in, in uh, opening doors and just making people feel comfortable. What level is your Mandarin? Well, if, if you don't understand Mandarin, it's fluent. I'll tell you that. Um, If you're uh, a Chinese person, it's embarrassing that after 15 years, I still have this level. Um, If you're my wife, who's Chinese, you just, it's a joke. Um, But no, I can have conversations with strangers in taxis outside of uh, tier one cities. Um, I mean, mean, uh, it's good enough to get into trouble. It's not good enough to get out of trouble.
1: So you're opening
2: these doors (laughs) in around the APAC region. So then what? And so I continue to open those doors, So, um, and it will continue forever indefinitely. Um, so this year, um, I opened doors in Malaysia, Singapore, and Dubai. So I'll be going to Dubai. I, I think I flew through Dubai on my way to the UK back in 94, but this will be for work. First time, looking very, very excited to that. So any highs and lows during that time? Yeah, yeah, oh, lots of highs. I mean... Yeah, plenty of highs. We've had a great team. Lows, SARS. Um, SARS. I think it was two thousand and three. Um, we lost all of our business. Uh, people couldn't go outside. People. Uh, the local media didn't know who was to, to blame, and they wanted someone to blame. It went from um, dogs, cats, Canadians, all foreigners, and then it and then it came out that it was a condition out of Guangdong. That went into Hong Kong, and it was all a domestic problem to begin with. But um, that was pretty bad. Because, but the good news was we were only in our twenties—that is, our age—and our overheads were low. We just started the company, and our salaries were even lower, so we could we could survive. You know, we could get through on some savings. But um, some years later, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was the global financial crisis, and we lost um, we lost all of Q- our Q four. Revenue just, just turned off. Literally, the tap just, you know, there was no more money coming in. Contracts were signed but not delivered upon. And we had to fire 75% of our company stuff. And that was heartbreaking because we had—we were really a family. Um, I don't know, you shouldn't fire your family. But, uh, yeah, we had to let go. And because we had such a strong relationship with all those employees, there was no, there was no issues. People left. Some of the people volunteered to leave. That was... Some of the foreigners felt like they wanted to go home, you know, because times were tough back then. You know, I don't know if you remember. Um, the Chinese were happy to accept base redundancy into cash as well as their laptop. When we had 80 full time staff, so we had 80 laptops. So that would have been 60 plus people? Exactly. 60, yeah, 60, or 65 people. And um, yeah, so it, it all ended well. And three of those people who had left, um, either through their own choice or um, who, who had to leave, had come back, and and now they're one of them's managing director, one of them's operations director, and one of them's a training director. So, so there were no hard
1: feelings between.
2: Ah, uh, no, not not. I mean, there's plenty of hard feelings from other cases. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we've we've had a few uh, incidences of ex-employees stealing uh, some of our intellectual property and and so on, but but not from that particular case. No, remarkably, uh, everyone left and was very mutual. Yeah. Yeah. So, how would you describe yourself? A mismatcher um, who's not afraid of giving their opinion um, and has a very thick skin, uh, which is very valuable in this market. So by mismatcher, I mean um, I, I'm not I'm not out to please. I'm not an ass um, If I don't like what I see, I'm very direct. That has caused some issues with some, mostly foreigners, um, who are just unprofessional and shouldn't shouldn't be working anywhere in the world let alone shanghai and i'm just boom stop stop it now leave now you know for whatever reason and i and i cause some headaches um, um i'm a straight shooter and uh, tell tell it what it what it is and you know at the end of the day i've made plenty of enemies and those enemies have become best friends you make your enemies into your friends, or is it your friends into enemies. Yeah, wasn't that was that Lincoln's? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I defeat my enemy by making them my friend. Um, look, I think I, I used to have a, a New Brit. Um, I used to have a, um, a saying about Americans that if if you hung around me for over an hour, then you were a good American because you could put up with my very direct approach um, and and not. At that time, say eight years ago, is that because you're Australian? And oh, not adults, all Australians so. are as direct as I am. But um, you know, I just I just stopped giving a you know giving anything about what other people thought of me. I was like, I'm too busy building a business to you know pe- polish your ego and keep you happy. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the <laughs> yeah. business. Um,
1: from your perspective, what are the differences you see in the countries that you operate in.
2: So we operate in pre- predominantly China, of course, um, Singapore, Malaysia, very similar business cultures in those two countries and Australia. Um, the major, look, China's so, China's fantastic. I, I love coming to China because it, it, it's an entrepreneur's dream. You can do anything here. You can make mistakes and people are forgiving generally. Um, it's so fast that by next week, everyone's forgotten about what mistake you made anyway. In Australia, it's so lethargic and complacent that it it frustrates me. It's like coming off. It's like a record player. One of those old record players that's playing, was it 36 and 44 or something? You know, the record the record spins at a lot faster revolution. That's China. And it's, Australia's kind of like it's the opposite.
0: Long, yeah, so,
1: it down. Do, so do you find you have to change your personality or mm, the what uh, your approach
2: depending uh, on
1: where
2: you are? Yeah. Um you know, in China it can take a long time to build a relationship, but once that relationship's built, it's like, let's work tomorrow. All right, what are you doing this afternoon? In Australia, um I I get people who I know very well have a strong relationship. They're like, Okay, what are you doing in March? 2017, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe that's exaggerating, but, but certainly, um, next year, they're looking at, certainly looking at April, May, and June to have a meeting, you know, yeah. like in China, if you're thinking six months ahead, the market's changed completely. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the frustrating thing. Singapore, Malaysia is exciting. Um, it's just a much smaller market. So you don't get as much of, the vibe because there's not as many networking events, as many entrepreneurs. Um, Singapore is a fantastic city to do business as a fly in you from the airport to downtown. It's like 20 minutes, very cheap taxi ride. And then you don't even need the subway. You could, if you wanted to, but you could just take it $6, 10 minute, 15 minute taxi ride anywhere from any office. You can have, I don't know, five meetings a day in Singapore, very, very easily. You could you wouldn't be able to do that in Shanghai just due to the, due to the traffic. Um, and you just wouldn't get that in Australia, particularly Melbourne or Sydney, because you wouldn't have that many people to talk to in so a day. what do you expect to find in Dubai? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I'm trying to... Uh, I'm going through all my LinkedIn... Talking about LinkedIn. I'm going through all my LinkedIn... Uh, connections at the moment, looking for who's in Dubai, who's been in Dubai, who has some friends in Dubai, because um, there's nothing worse than coming to a foreign city and sitting in a hotel room and watching the, the, the same TV that you could watch anywhere in the world. So I, I want to get out to places. I'm going to only be there for three nights, but I want to go to a restaurant that you know, is worthy of going, not just because it's close to my hotel room. How do you see things playing out in the future? Uh, how do I see things playing out in the future for your business, <clears throat> for my business? Well, if you if you if you take a long term view on China, that's great, but don't take a long term view on your business model. Um, Fifteen years ago, we were an English training company. Seven years ago, we shifted to soft skills training. I'm thinking in the next five years will have will be mostly online, mobile app, still learning in the learning space and evolution space. But um, we've just got to keep your ear to the ground to, to see what technologies are changing. It's just happening so quickly. Today's
1: talk was titled How to Make 1 Million Renminbi from LinkedIn, a case study. So can you just tell us, what do you hope the attendants
2: get from it? Well, uh, LinkedIn is great at building brand. Uh, it's great at, at building awareness. But a lot of people have not realized that it... it, it does There is a connection between conversion. Conversion is in, as in bank account goes up with more money. Um, I, I demonstrated today with one particular case study of this is the pathway I followed, having a personal conversation with an individual, um, ABC, always be contributing, giving her a, um, a solution to her problem that she had made very clear on LinkedIn. I think I was the only person who made that. Direct solution to her. Here's the solution to your problem. She she replied, and we so got. So how the did you how did you build on that? So she asked the question. Yep. How did you get the response? That? Well, I did what lo- a lot of salespeople don't do. I gave her something for free. I gave her the answers. I gave so that she was after. In this case, she was after help on how to build, how to negotiate without authority. So I wrote an article called. Um, um, the Jedi, h- how to negotiate like a Jedi, brackets, i.e., without authority. And I sent it to her and she read it, and it was like a, it was the five steps to her solution, you know. Um, she said, That's fantastic. Well, if you've given this for free, you must know a lot more. Come in for a meeting. So I had a meeting. So I've now got a meeting where none of my competitors had had a meeting. So do you just choose randomly to send out articles or... No, no. So she had, this lady, Crystal, had written on one of the group boards and said, this is my problem. A bunch of people had said, hi, I'm an expert. Give me a call if you need help. You know, make an effort, man, make an effort. I was the only one, I, I imagine, I was the only one who actually contacted her directly and said, hey, I heard you've got this problem. Here's the solution to that question. Here's the five steps to that question, um, and I didn't ask for a meeting, and she just she replied back. She said, "Thank you very much. That's amazing." And then I replied back, "Well, if you'd like to know more, let me know." Right? Gentle approach for sales. So
1: how do you see LinkedIn
2: being used by the Chinese? Um, well, LinkedIn now has uh, it has bilingual, so you've got the Chinese Hanzi, thats the characters. Um, and you've got the English and you can flip between the two. So the Chinese who are not comfortable using an English language platform can more easily access LinkedIn now. Um, and I think that's going to get rid of that, just that phobia of using a foreign language. Um, they, yeah, they, they ha- with LinkedIn, you have to be more strategic. And as I mentioned in my presentation today, sales is not a straight line. You know, WeChat's a straight line. Hi, how are you doing? Do you have a WeChat? Let's connect. Boom, right? Well, that's fine if you're face-to-face with that with that person. But WeChat is a closed environment. You know, I, I can't just get Xi Jinping's WeChat details, right? Even, even if I wanted to, I couldn't because I've got to physically get his phone and scan his barcode, his QR code. Um, whereas LinkedIn, in theory, if I was Ma Yun or... Bill Clinton or, you know, whoever, or, um, Obama, in theory, I could connect to Xi Jinping tomorrow on LinkedIn, right? So it's a very different platform and, and Chinese need to realize that, yeah, sales isn't a straight line. LinkedIn is that way of getting that business. I've looked at your LinkedIn page.
1: What I've seen at the bottom is Clark Morgan Insights has been interviewing Chinese-based thought leaders. Yes. Um, in what areas and what's the purpose of this?
2: Mm. Yeah, well, LinkedIn is a perfect platform for that. So uh, four years ago, I bought a camera, a digital SLR that has a video recording function. It was a, it was right at the time the digital SLR cameras. These are those bulky cameras that you can detach the lens. Um, the speed of the RAM, I don't know, um, was able to record the image as so fast that it could capture an image at more than 25 frames per second. Well, that happens to be what video is, 25 to 29 frames per second. So a couple of smart um, camera companies like Nikon Nikon and Canon came up with two versions. I bought the cheaper version because it was a bit experimental, and I bought two of them. In fact, I like it so much, the D7000. And um, I started doing video, and we started just filming our own stuff. Great with a 50mm lens, you can change the aperture and you can create that depth of field so that the foreground person that you're interviewing is clear, crisp and anything behind them is that blurry and it looks like movie quality and it never was available to the consumer up until that date. And I was at the, I was, you know, I'm young enough, I'm 40 so I'm young enough to take advantage of technology changes today and I did that. So that was 2011 and today... We have I think over 150 close to 160 videos of thought leaders. Sometimes the thought leaders are our staff. We've got a, probably 10 percent of our videos are our own team. and the other 90 percent are managing directors, VPs, general managers, founders, authors. They, they get there's a, a model to there's a format to our interview. it's a theory and an anecdote. It gets cut down to five minutes. I filmed three of these videos this week. I will then push that video out on LinkedIn through my own private, my own link, LinkedIn profile. I'll put it on my company profile and then I'll push it through other social media platforms as well. So is that available to... Yeah, for free. And, and and there's a, you know, there's a, a watermark on it. So I want my competitors to use it because then they'll be branding my company. Um, and, you know, there's a benefit. I, I get access to a managing director. Of course, by association, I'm now closer to that company and if I then have to speak to a junior staff member from that same company, I can help make it a, a, a faster sale by showing that, hey, you know, I spoke to your managing director and here's the video. Do you want to have a look? You know, so there is a strategic approach. And again, sales is not a straight line. And this is one of those examples of that. So that's
1: almost a similar approach to what I'm doing with my podcasts because I've now started to put them on my LinkedIn page mm-hmm. and they can link across. So it's not on the scale yeah, that we've right. done. But so once this,
2: once this goes live and it's on um, iTunes, send it to me and I'll, I'll push it through all my networks, of course. I mean, my, that's my job for marketing in Clark Morgan. Yeah. yeah. How will I get a watermark on an audio? <laughs> <laughs>
1: just
2: do an ad. Just, uh, well, well, what was your uh, podcast again? com. There you go. There's your watermark. Right. Let's get a bit personal. What motivates you to do what you're doing? Well, I've, I've done a lot of psychometric tests, you know, these MBTIs, discs, yeah. and so on. Um, I recently did a very comprehensive one called the Hogan. And a, you, know, you get all these metrics. And one of the metrics is classified as science. Know, it's a strange title. My science out of 100 is 98. 98 out of 100. What that means is I love learning. I love learning. And that, that's what the report's telling me, and I kind of already knew that. Um, I love learning new things, and that's what motivates me. So... Um, whether it be doing podcasts with yourself, um, I, ha, we have an internal podcast where we only record our own team members. I learned that I, I, you're using GarageBand. I can tell you all about GarageBand. Um, I, although you're using GarageBand 6.1 ever and I'm using GarageBand 10. So, so more yeah, I'm a
1: bit behind. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
2: But that's the, I love that stuff, right? I love learning. Video editing. You know, I, I used iMovie for some of the stuff. Um, for Insights, Clark Morgan Insights, but I'm also using Premiere Premier Pro, um, much higher level for some of the other stuff I'm using, um, traveling, getting to meet new people, technology, that's what motivates you're me. You're
1: the founder of a company, so you must be busy doing company business. How do you find the time to be creating content, video content, audio content, because, and uh, and you write as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, look. There was a time where I was doing everything. I was. I. My. At one point, my general. My job title was general manager, and I joked that that meant I generally did everything. Um, and I did everything. I did sales. I did marketing. I did very badly accounting, which almost set the company bankrupt. Um, I did uh, recruitment. I did internal training. You know, I did everything, and then the company grew, where I was able to take the the pieces that I hated. And I gave them to somebody. So one of the first persons I hired um, was, of course, an accountant, right? A Chinese accountant. One of the first foreigners I hired was an operations director to, to look at the fine details, the quality control, to make sure we weren't breaching uh, intellectual property of, of a cartoon, you know, law firm or something. Um, and I just replaced all the stuff that I hate doing. I just re- hired someone to do that. Uh, I made myself redundant, essentially. Um, it, it seems odd. Like, you know, why would you make yourself redundant? Well, I own the company. I'm not going to fire myself. But it meant that I could move into areas that I am truly passionate about. And if you're truly passionate about, even if you're not good at it yet, you will become good at it quickly. For so which areas are you passionate about? Um, so I really love marketing. Uh, I love telling stories and, and passing on that message. And I love sales. And I love meeting new people and closing deals. And of course, the marriage between sales and marketing. It's very close, being able to convince someone that you're the best choice. Um, obviously, you need to build reputation and marketing comes from that. And that's what I do. So I travel the world, give TEDx presentations, do presentations, write books, write blogs, do this podcast, um, and all the boring stuff I give to other people. But you know what? They love that because that's their personality. They love the, the you know, the, the, they're prudent people. They love that detail or, you know, so that's my recommendation to you is delegate, delegate, delegate as soon as you can, the stuff particularly that you don't like so that, the, that you can start focusing on what you're good at. So you,
1: you started out as a microbiologist. Yeah.
2: So why didn't you continue into your career as a microbiologist? Well, technically when I graduated after five years, cause I failed a year at, in my career, in, I studied a applied Applied uh, science. It was applied science, microbiology, toxicology, pharmacology, double major. <laughs> uh, gives me a headache just thinking of it. Um, at the same time as I studied this, and it took five years because I did a, I worked for one year as part of that program, um, and I also had to repeat two subjects. I studied... I, I got accidentally logged into Mandarin. This was 2003, 2004. Um, and I also got interested in business, and so I enrolled in a, um, in a um, online um, uh, was it a business management program, uh, advanced business, business management program. So yes, I had microbiology, I had Mandarin, and I had uh, business skills when I graduated five years later. Well, I worked as a microbiologist for a year, didn't like it, saw an opportunity in the pharmaceutical industry, which was business and microbiology. I was hired because my new boss thought that my Mandarin skills would come in handy in a particular area of Melbourne. Um, anyone listening to this who knows Melbourne, it was Springvale and, uh, Footscray, which are not Chinese areas. They're Vietnamese areas, but you know, Australians at that time were so ignorant of (laughs) languages. As I got the job at 23, I got a company car, brand new phone, Pentium one when laptops had just come out, uh, for consumers. Um, so you know what, it all, it's a straight line when you think of it like that. So why did you come to China? Well, then I was traveling around, though. I took a, a year off um, or nine months off to do a sabbatical find myself um, after three years working in this um, very cushy job. And I met a girl in Yangshuo in southern China, Guangxi province near Guilin. Uh, I ended up marrying her some years later, but I came back to Shanghai to see her. She was my girlfriend for a number of years. Um, and then I thought, well, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm 25 years old. I can be an English teacher or a CEO. Those are the two job titles that all foreigners had back in uh, 2001. Right? There was nothing in the middle. So I had to create the middle, I had to create my own business, and that's what I did.
1: In 2001, you started your own business, mm-hmm. and so you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, You mentioned before that you were doing everything. Yes. So do you think these are skills that starting out entrepreneurs should have, that they need to be willing yeah. to
2: get stuck in on everything? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I recently gave a presentation, actually a TEDx presentation in Shanghai, and it was, the, it was titled, The Five Rules of Serendipity for Entrepreneurship. And one of the rules, I can't remember which one it was, it's only five, was um, be a generalist, not a specialist, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, right now, if you're the first influx of employees, you can be a specialist, right? Because they'll need a, you know, they'll need an IT whiz, they'll need an accountant, they'll need a, you know, security guy, whatever. But if you're the guy or girl starting the business, you need to know that IT security is a thing, right? You need to know that um, Garage is a free software available on a Mac, right? You'll need to know. Um, generally how to walk up to a stranger and make a deal to get your first you know, paycheck. So you don't need to know a deep knowledge about a specific topic, but you do need to know a broad range and a shallow, shallow at that, which becomes a problem later on when you grow the business and your general knowledge no longer adds any significant value. Then start to look more deeper at something that you're passionate about. What's the name of your book? Uh, the book is called Selling Big to China. Uh, it was published in 2010. Uh, if you can get a paperback copy, um, you're doing well because it, unfortunately it's out of print on the paper copy. But the Kindle is still running. And you can get that on Amazon.com. I think it's around, it varies in price between $12 and $18 US. Uh, and it's, a, it's called Selling Big to China. And guess what? It's about selling to China. It's about building a, a sales team in China. It was based on my, at the, up until that time, around 10, 11 years of experience building a, a sales team in China and selling to um, both Chinese and multinational uh, multinationals people from all over the world. So it's, um, if you've got a business that's selling in China, either to a you know, foreign you know purchasing manager or a Chinese purchasing manager, um, the book is as valid. So it's valid for today. You know, if I went out and bought a copy, I could
1: create what you've built.
2: Um, Oh yes. Yeah. That's all you need. Um, yeah. it's valid. Um, and uh, I'm writing version two because when you write a book, uh, as soon as you, it goes to print, you're already, you know, thinking to yourself, Oh my God, there's so many more things I want to say. Them. Yeah. You've missed things right. out. Your brain doesn't turn off after you finish the, the full stop at the end of the last page. But, um, Yes, um, I would recommend if you like selling big to China or you'd like to know more about it, just go to clarkmorgan.com. Uh, we give a lot of free advice and, and you don't have to buy the book. Okay, thanks. So do you have any
1: other advice that you can give to entrepreneurs in general?
2: Um, oh, it's a roller coaster ride. Um, if, you particularly, if you've ever done a psychometric test and security, stability is one of the high rankings you're not going to be an entrepreneur, right? You, don't try, right? I mean, uh, find an entrepreneur, work with them once they've got stable cash flow, you know, because if, if you want to be part of the Silicon Valley or, or you know, the new Shanghai, new China type story, um, know what you're really going to bring to, to the party. Um, you know, just because the word entrepreneur is hot at the moment doesn't mean you, you need to be one. Okay. Thank you very much. And um,
1: if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch?
2: Well, I, I think the, the world's pretty savvy about it. My name's Maury Morgan. There's a thing called Google. You could find it. Uh, find me on that. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn, same name, um, Morrie, mory there's, there's only one of us. I think it's a uh, an Israeli guy in New York, I think. It's the other Morrie. So um, find me on LinkedIn. If you're on WeChat's uh, Chinese, I'm also known as Maury Morgan on uh on WeChat as well. So, okay, thank you very much, and
1: um, we'll be keeping in touch. Thank you.
0: This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.